Section four of Practical Forestry in the Pacific Northwest by Edward Tyson Allen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Forestry and the Forest, Part One. Elementary Principles of Forest Growth. Whether the lumberman's judgment of economic influences leads him to be optimistic or otherwise as to the profit of forestry in general, he is most interested in the particular forest with which he has to deal. He can neither accept nor dismiss the proposition intelligently, much less put his ideas into actual practice, without knowing something of the capability of his land to respond to his effort. What methods are best, what will they cost, and what will be the result, are questions which arise at the very outset. They lead at once into the domain of technical forestry. With us, forestry has not been practiced long enough to furnish demonstrated examples with which to answer such questions. We can, however, profit by experience gained elsewhere, for the laws which govern tree life are as universal as those which govern the life of men and animals. In dealing with new species and new environments, we have no great difficulty in judging their future from their past, which lies written plainly for those who care to study it. While to some extent trees require elements obtainable only from the soil, they are much more independent in this respect than most other forms of vegetation. Soil influences forest trees mainly by its physical character, especially as this determines the moisture contents. Very little nourishment is actually taken out of the soil, for as someone has said, wood is nothing but air solidified by sunshine. A tree's immense and complicated foliage system is the laboratory with which it affects this transformation. Since air exists everywhere and the chemical quality of the soil is comparatively unimportant, the requirements of different species for light, heat, and moisture are what mainly determine their distribution and habits of growth. And since heat and moisture are largely climactic factors and fairly uniform in given localities, it follows that the demand of a species upon light may practically fix its habits and possibilities in those localities. The very great variance of species in light requirement accounts to a large extent for the composition of the most primeval forests. It is of peculiar importance in the management of forests by man because he cannot control it as he may be able to control some of the other agencies which affected the primeval forest, such as fire or seed supply. Selection Forests it would be unprofitable to discuss here all the many methods of forest management which have proved to be the best, technically, for given species and combinations of species. Where market and transportation facilities are highly favorable, as in Europe, the timber owner can adopt the method which will bring the best results, but here he has no such choice. He can but bear in mind certain fundamental principles, uniformly applicable to large areas for considerable periods of time. Roughly, however, our western forests can be classified by their adaptability to the two directly opposite systems, known as clean-cutting and selection-cutting, of which almost all methods are modifications. A selection forest is one in which all ages of trees exist, from seedling to maturity. It is the natural growth of species which are tolerant of shade. In a natural state, undisturbed by cutting, it maintains much the same aspect continuously, for as the oldest trees die, their place is taken by younger ones. Obviously, such a forest must be composed of species, whether one or several, which can grow beneath its own shade. The understories of varying ages are as dense as their light requirements and the density of the overwood permit. The common hardwood forests of the east illustrate one type of the natural selection forest. 
on the pacific slope an example is afforded by hemlock either practically pure or mixed with white fir but probably the most typical is the ordinary western yellow pine under certain conditions at its best this tree composes a forest so dense that all young growth is shaded out but everyone is familiar with the frequent opener stand containing all ages the younger trees are often called blackjack even aged forests on the other hand trees extremely intolerant of shade occur only in what the forester calls even aged forests being unable to start in the darkness of an existing stand of any considerable density they must seize opportunities to recover openings the douglas fir of the northwest more commonly called red or yellow fir is an excellent illustration in the interior states this species reproduces under cover to some extent because there is a stronger light average throughout the year and because the stand is not so dense in the typical douglas fir forests of oregon and washington discussed in this booklet it never does so while hemlock cedar and white fir undergrowth may be abundant douglas fir seedlings are seldom seen except in burns slashings roads or open spots in the woods and the fir trees composing the dominant stand are of nearly the same age how then did this even aged fir forest begin close scrutiny will practically always find the answer in fragments of charred wood long ago another similar forest occupied the ground until lightning or an indian's fire started a new cycle possibly recurring burns swept the area many times before wind-blown seeds began to start advanced groups of fir which when fifteen or twenty years old themselves fruited and filled the blanks between them perhaps destruction was not so complete and surviving trees made the process a swifter one except in the very oldest forests where remains of the original stand have entirely rotted away the history in either case may be read in ancient snags and fallen logs suppose however that fire had not come to aid in the fir perpetuating itself this too we can answer from the signs today every northwestern woodsman knows tracks of varying size usually small because fire has been almost universal covered with big old hemlock white fir and cedar with here and there a dying giant fir perhaps but mainly showing fir occupancy only by rotting stumps and logs no sign of fire is seen when this fir forest was approaching middle age the shade-bearing species began to appear beneath it as the firs began to crowd themselves out the later comers shot up with increased light and filled the open places at last the even aged fir forest was completely transformed into a selection forest of other trees which will remain until some accident again gives fir a chance if any survives near enough to reach the spot with seed douglas fir is not the only western tree which usually grows in even aged stands lodgepole pine has the same habit often supplanting yellow pine after fire or logging western white pine is perhaps more tolerant than douglas fir hence more likely to hold its own without artificial aid but is also more certain to compete successfully if it has such aid the same is true of tamarack nature as a model we thus see that if economic reasons suggest it we may use the selection system as a basis for artificially managing the shade-bearing species such as hemlock white fir cedar spruce and even western yellow pine we may cut the largest and oldest trees and still have a well-started second crop if there is not much young growth to leave even a little is valuable it may be decidedly best to leave medium-sized trees which otherwise we would cut because they are still growing rapidly on the other hand we see that this method would not be of any advantage at all in ensuring a second crop of douglas fir for there is no young growth of this species to protect 
the small and medium-sized trees instead of being immature are merely stunted specimens of the same age as their larger brothers and unlikely to gain in size if left selection cutting here would save for future use only such understory of shade-bearing species as may exist unless this is an object the best plan is to cut clean and get all we can if we leave any fur at all it is for the purpose of reseeding not to secure better utilization of the trees themselves and whether we do so depends theoretically at least upon whether it is better than artificial seeding or planting in short selection cutting harvests the ripest trees of a perpetual forest while clean cutting destroys the forest in order to start an entirely new and more rapid growing one clean cutting is therefore necessary as well as natural in dealing with intolerant trees but it does not follow that the selection system although natural to tolerant species is the only one adaptable to them while the one class demands light the other does not demand shade it is merely capable of enduring it indeed except for the greater susceptibility of some species to extreme heat and dryness when very young as a rule shade-bearing trees grow much better if they do have ample light supply consequently clean cutting may be the best system for these also under certain economic conditions besides its influence upon the occurrence of species in the forest light practically governs the physical form of the individual tree if grown in an opening and not artificially pruned a tree will have a conical trunk and living branches almost down to the ground the denser and consequently darker the forest the more cylindrical the trunk the smaller the crown of branches and the greater the clear length an individual tree has no object in assuming a desirable commercial form and does so only when deprived of side light by numerous neighbors then it sacrifices diameter growth to height growth in reaching for the top light necessary for its life at the same time the lower branches are killed by shade and drop off the scars being healed and eventually buried the pin knots near the center of a big clear log are the remains of branches which when living were at the top of the young tree this is why if it is to produce good timber any forest must be dense enough to cover the ground throughout the early part of its life at least when we see an excellent clear stand of mature douglas fir for example we may know that it consists of the comparatively few survivors of a close sapling growth in which the weak were gradually killed out after serving their office of pruning and forcing the vigorous had only the trees we now see been on the ground they would be worthless except for firewood for the same reason artificial forest planting must be thick although the fillers or nurse trees may be of inferior species if not of so rapid growth as to gain the mastery nature teaches many lessons which we must recognize in artificial management or fail but she is no more the best grower of forest crops than she is of agricultural crops we have to study natural methods of forest perpetuation to see how they may be improved upon as much as to adopt them as models as a rule the virgin forest is exceedingly wasteful of ground the possibilities under intelligent care are not indicated by nature's average but by her accidental best and usually they far exceed even this a fair comparison is that of scientific farming with unsystematic gleaning from wild and untended fields the foregoing general principles of forest growth have been purposely outlined very briefly so as to serve as a mere introduction to their application or modification in concrete cases management of specific types Douglas fir, Pseudotsuga taxifolia. Compared with most important commercial trees, the northwestern Douglas fir is remarkably easy to reproduce. It is an abundant cedar, 
grows very rapidly and inhabits a region with every climactic advantage in the typical fir districts of oregon and washington deforested land which escapes recurring fire is usually restocked naturally and with astounding rapidity the exception to this rule are where the destruction of seed trees has been wide and absolute where already established competing species are not removed with the original forest and where the surviving fir is too old to seed the two latter conditions are most prevalent near the coast where the wet climate not only tends to protect slashings from fire and thus preserve the undergrowth of shade-bearing species which escapes logging but has also prevented the accidental destruction in the past of the original fir stand by fire in considering these natural results as they bear upon proposed methods we find actual destruction of seed supply the easiest to avoid if the original stand contains suitable seed trees we can protect a sufficient number of them if not or if it is less expensive we can secure seed elsewhere more frequent difficulty will lie in determining whether the reproduction of fir should be the sole effort or whether it should not be sacrificed if necessary in order to utilize an existing start toward a second crop of other species this is of peculiar and early importance for it usually also decides the question of protecting the slashing from fire if the present stand is nearly pure fir or if other species are represented almost wholly by merchantable trees there will be no young growth worth saving a new crop must be started from seed and since fir is the quickest and easiest to grow as well as probably the most valuable it should be given every encouragement slash burning and its exceptions in most cases this requires burning the ground after logging not only to reduce the future fire risk but also to provide a suitable seed bed fir much prefers mineral soil to start in as is easily seen from the far greater frequency of seedlings on road grades than on adjacent undisturbed ground covered with hummus and rotten wood hemlock has no such fastidiousness even preferring rotten wood as a seed bed to protect the slashing from fire therefore both preserves the most unfavorable conditions for fir and subjects it to unnecessary competition by its rival hemlock seedlings already established seeds lying on the ground and surrounding or surviving trees which may scatter more seed are all encouraged to shade and stifle the struggling fir seedlings already handicapped by dislike for their situation on the other hand a large proportion of what we now consider typically fir forest has a vigorous ground cover of hemlock and cedar which may become merchantable many years before an entirely new fir crop can be grown the presumably greater value of the latter may be consumed by the heavier carrying charge before returns are available certainly if the promise of profit from other species and the difficulty of establishing fir both reach the extreme protection of the growth already started is the best forestry if it is practicable moreover there may be considerable young growth of other species under conditions which do not preclude satisfactory additional reseeding by fir when the owner is in position to plan far into the future like the government or state he may seek a temporary compromise although expecting eventually to secure pure fir in such a case it may often be best to utilize a first new crop of hemlock but on harvesting this a few decades hence to burn clean and start the next rotation with fir only conditions vary methods between conditions clearly suggesting one course or another all gradations will present themselves and no written rule can be given for determining the dividing line much depends on future relative values of species upon which the owner will have his own opinion more depends upon the character of existing young growth and consequent adaptability to changing conditions after logging 
even a very thick stand of young hemlock is unlikely to produce much if the overwood has been very dense for so much of it may be so old and stunted by shade that sudden advent of strong light will result merely in distorted worthless branch growth or in killing it outright occasional vigorous young trees just under present merchantable size are of doubtful value because they are likely to blow down the most promising class of undergrowth found in fir forests of the northwest is where there has been sufficient light to produce a fairly thick stand of young hemlock or cedar from five to fifty feet high if the undergrowth from which any second crop may develop is insufficient to be worth much consideration and reseeding must be depended upon entirely there may still be a question as to species if ample natural supply of fir seed can be expected slash burning is indicated but if not and the owner is not prepared to undertake the expense of artificial seeding while at the same time there is a promising natural hemlock supply burning has no object except the reduction of future fire risk it may even retard hemlock reproduction both by destroying part of the seed supply and by encouraging the growth of breaks on the area the question here is really a financial one the cost of planting fir under these conditions may be more than reimbursed by the resultant more valuable and rapid growing crop the owner must do his own conjecturing as to future comparative values of the species so far we have discussed slash burning only in its silvicultural relation finding that it encourages douglas fir reproduction and is consequently advisable in northwestern douglas fir types unless there is an exceptionally promising second growth already started the balance will be further in its favor in doubtful cases because of the protective feature this is discussed more fully in another chapter but it is well to recall here that immunity from recurring fire is the first essential of profitable reforestation to secure second growth by treatment which threatens its destruction later is bad management unless the original saving is ample to cover subsequent greater cost of protection this is seldom the case how to reseed the area dismissing the exceptions noted and returning to our rule that another crop of douglas fir is usually the best secured by following nature cutting practically clean burning the ground and starting a new even aged stand we have still to consider means of getting this stand started we may depend upon natural reseeding from trees preserved for the purpose or from the surrounding forest or we may resort to planting what are the comparative advantages of these two methods and the circumstances governing choice between them hitherto students of the subject have inclined to favor natural reproduction the very general second growth on deforested land where no aid has been given indicates that excellent results will follow slight assistance red fir fruits frequently and profusely and the seeds carry well in the wind burns have been known to restock fully from seed blown from forested hills a mile or more away moreover while planting always involves initial expense sometimes much may be done to ensure natural seeding with little or no actual outlay there is danger however that in many instances this economy will be more apparent than real if it is affected by actually leaving much value in seed trees abroad and in the east there is comparatively little loss in leaving even a fourth or fifth of the original stand to furnish seed the individual trees left may be good cedars although small little capital is tied up in them and they may be utilized later to equal advantage a mature fir forest of the pacific coast may have no small fruiting trees at all and if left such are likely to be knocked down in logging to leave twenty per cent of the large trees standing would sometimes tie up twenty thousand feet to the acre worth forty or fifty dollars age and windfall may cause loss equal to stumpage increase 
moreover they can never be utilized without the same expense for roads and machinery that is necessary in original logging the second crop will not be allowed to reach a size requiring such equipment in considering possible windfall loss not the normal wind but the possible maximum storm within the entire life of the second crop must be reckoned with it is probably safe to say of a mature pacific coast fir that leaving enough merchantable timber on a cutting area for adequate seeding costs more than to use it and restock restocking can be done for two dollars to ten dollars an acre which would leave a decided margin for profit on the seed trees and if we undertake to reduce this balance by leaving very few seed trees we decrease the certainty of successful reproduction and increase the danger of entire failure through windfall or accidental destruction when we burn the slashing it cannot be denied however that fire after planting would result in complete loss while seed trees might restock the area again and again after such accidents natural reproduction on the other hand natural reproduction does not always require the leaving of merchantable timber on the cutting area frequently there are enough crooked or conky trees to serve the purpose these defects are not directly transmissible through seed to the offspring although conch is infectious and the young crop should be protected by the removal of the diseased parents after it is well started again seeding from adjacent timber can often be relied upon this is a question of economy and logging operations lay of the ground prevailing wind direction fertility of the stand and other local considerations a valley with healthy fir woods on either side is likely to seed up promptly even if a half mile wide so is a flat at the leeward foot of a hill timbered on the summit where the wind strikes a cutting on a ridge is correspondingly unlikely to restock theoretically if a tract of timber were large enough it could be opened up by logging operations which instead of proceeding steadily from one edge might skip every other landing or so until the most remote portion was reached after a few years and then work back again cleaning up the neglected portions after they had seeded the first openings the same effect sometimes results from actual accidental practice it is apparent that rules cannot be laid down for general application generally speaking a logger interested in fir reforestation should study his ground to see if naturally or with inexpensive aid the cut over area will not recede from the sides and from the coal trees he will leave uncut if not he may leave a few merchantable seed-bearing trees provided the soil is such as to make them deep-rooted and wind firm groups are better than single trees because less likely to be blown down and easier to protect from the slashing fire more should be left toward the windward edge but before tying up any considerable sum in merchantable trees he should consider the cost and safety of supplementing any shortage of natural supply by artificial seeding western hemlock tsuga heterophylla since hemlock is so frequently associated with douglas fir the principles governing its reproduction and its relative promise as a second crop have necessarily been largely covered in the preceding discussion of fir the following remarks are merely additional we have seen that the perpetuation of hemlock is advisable only where fir reproduction is difficult to obtain or will be at too great a sacrifice of valuable existing hemlock the first of these conditions is confined chiefly to pure hemlock stands and to coast regions where the fir is often too cold to seed well the second may exist on the coast or in certain moist interior regions where there is a heavy hemlock undergrowth 
in either case natural hemlock reproduction will be counted upon both because it is practically certain to occur and because if it were not certain and artificial aid were necessary we would abandon hemlock entirely and devote our efforts to fir in short discussion of hemlock as a second crop need not include systematic attempts to seed the ground but may be confined to protection of what we have to begin with in a straight hemlock proposition the protection question may differ considerably from that involved by deciding between fir and hemlock in the latter case because of the assistance of fire to fir the growth already on the ground must have considerable value to warrant foregoing the several advantages of slash burning in the former slash burning has no object except to reduce future risk the inference is that a much less promising stock of young growth is worth protecting while this is true there is danger of overestimating its value especially if care is not taken in logging it has been remarked that suppressed misshapen hemlock is not apt to make a healthy growth that windfall is a peril and that if the previous shade has been heavy sudden opening to sunlight may be fatal it should also be remembered that even slightly injured young hemlock is worthless for it is almost certain to be attacked by borers anything which deadens a small portion of the bark like axe blazes fire scorch or scars from strap leads is dangerous hemlock is more liable than fir to general defects like black streak borers fungus disease and mistletoe therefore investment in reforestation needs the maximum safeguard against them in many instances better results may be obtained from a new healthy seedling stand following a purifying fire even at some loss of time than from well-started young growth which is unhealthy and likely not only to fail itself but also to infect any seedlings which may come in among it consequently if the slashing is not large and reproduction from the sides may be counted on the above considerations coupled with the reduction of future fire risk may suggest slash burning just as in the case of fir the remarks apply particularly if it is considered necessary to log as clean as possible with a good healthy start toward a new forest however it will usually be best to keep fire out for the material saved will warrant greater expense and protection during the growing period representative tracks both on the coast and in the cascades have been studied which show that with care in lumbering enough good young hemlock too small for logs or skids could be saved after present-day logging of a heavy mixed fir and hemlock stand to produce in fifty years eleven thousand or twelve thousand feet of timber over fourteen inches in diameter this would not be wholly additional to the second crop of seedlings which might be produced if these trees were not preserved for the ground and light they use would be denied to the seedlings but undoubtedly the yield would be greater than could be secured if they were destroyed this means that under similar conditions we may go still further and actually apply the selection system especially if the original stand is nearly pure hemlock so far we have discussed areas left by present-day logging methods suppose however the owner of a good tract of hemlock having decided that conditions do not warrant trying to get fir is willing to modify his methods for the sake of better hemlock returns at some future cutting he would probably do best to take out only the mature trees leaving everything which is still growing with fair rapidity greater light will stimulate these immensely as well as encourage further seeding of the ground the few merchantable trees he spares together with those now unmerchantable will in perhaps twenty years make another excellent crop by leaving a fairly dense stand he prevents the windfall danger which threatens the survivors of too vigorous cutting and also prevents them from assuming the branchy form of trees which receive too much side light 
the fire danger is much reduced by resultant shading of the ground and slightly by the lesser cover of debris in short he makes the most economical use of the ground and the capital represented by the trees he spares is well invested to sum up hemlock lends itself to almost every form of management determination as to which is most advisable is governed by its extremely variable manner of occurrence and by the local promise offered by associate species the foregoing discussion can only serve as suggestive when considering given conditions western cedar thuya plicata except for small swamp and river bottom areas where the land is likely to be more valuable for agriculture than for forest culture pure cedar stands are not common therefore it is as a component of mixed stands that cedar is likely to become a problem in conservative management to some extent it presents a peculiar question by being taken out alone for special purposes such as poles and bolts independent of ordinary logging of saw timber western cedar is a typically shade-bearing tree and also endures much ground moisture its occurrence as an understory and in swamps does not indicate that it always requires such conditions however but more often means merely that they protected it from competition or from destruction by fire charred remains of very large fine cedar are often found on comparatively dry slopes where fire has resulted in complete occupation by fir at present cedar's failure to reappear there after removal is probably because its thin bark and shallow roots allowed its destruction by a fire which was survived by some better protected fir seed trees nevertheless cedar must be classified as a moisture loving species and occupies dry soils only in coast or mountain localities where there is a compensating heavy rainfall reproduction and management of western cedar have not been sufficiently studied to warrant very positive conclusions this neglect is probably due to a wide belief that in spite of its present commercial importance its place in the future forest will be small it most commonly occurs with other trees and heavy stands which make the preservation of any young cedar difficult because of the destructiveness of logging being of comparatively slow growth also persistent in retaining branches when grown in the light it is not as promising for artificial reproduction as douglas fir or white pine to let it become old enough for good shingle material will be too expensive to pay for roofing is one of the wood products easiest to substitute for while cedar is adapted for poles posts and other underground use less decay resisting species can be made equally durable by chemical treatment in other words as a second crop it is probably below other species in ease of establishment rapidity and quantity and will not have sufficient peculiar value to compensate for consequent less economical use of the ground there may be exceptions to this rule good young cedar in forests which are to be handled under the selection system should be carefully protected it can always be utilized and may bring revenue before anything else can be cut for the same reason it has been suggested for planting with fir and white pine either simultaneously as a small proportion or later in blank spaces where others fail under such conditions the main stand will not be modified and the cedar will afford a valuable adjunct sitka spruce picea stichinesis although found in the moister mountain regions this exceedingly valuable tree seldom occurs to a commercially important extent except along the coast where it is common on swales and fertile beaches and in river bottoms often forms pure stands of a great density yields of one hundred thousand feet an acre are not unusual and the trees are very large it is also common although of small size in swamps 
this spruce reproduces readily in openings whether made by fire or cutting unthrifty specimens may be found under shade but considerable light is necessary for successful development even then height growth in youth averages slower than that of fir or hemlock the leader shoot is likely to die so that hardly more than twenty five per cent of the young trees establish a regular form of growth before a height of twenty or thirty feet is reached after this stage spruce grows uniformly and rapidly still somewhat slower than fir in height but exceeding it in diameter the branches are slow to die however so that the tree remains bushy for most of its length until it reaches sixty or eighty feet in height and even afterward a dense stand is required to clear it in many pure spruce forests the larger trees have been able to withstand the pruning influences and remain limmy while the smaller ones being pushed in height growth to reach sufficient light for survival have cleared themselves with remarkable rapidity the natural occurrence of sitka spruce except in alaska is probably limited chiefly to situations where it escapes competition in youth at least with the more hardy and rapid growing species it has the greatest advantage over these on river bottoms and flats where there is a dense growth of deciduous brush and where the soil is very wet in spring in considering it as a possible second crop the same competition must be remembered whether seeding is natural or artificial the extent to which it will hold its own with any considerable quantity of other species is doubtful if such are present and the situation is adapted to them any expensive effort to get spruce merely by modifying methods of logging or handling the slash is certainly likely to be disappointing under the conditions mentioned as peculiarly favorable for spruce gradual natural restocking may be expected if some seed supply is preserved but since the growth is rather slow and a thin stand will remain limmy it will pay to hasten returns by supplementary artificial planting some authorities question the financial practicability of this on the ground that since spruce is of slower growth it will pay better to use the ground for fir but the latter is unlikely to be true of bottom land after summing all its advantages the peculiar merits of spruce for certain purposes should be weighed for sufficiently higher stumpage value will compensate for a delay in harvesting the crop moreover sitka spruce has not been as thoroughly studied by foresters as the more prominent western trees and while the foregoing notes represent general present opinion further figures on the rate of height growth may be more encouraging there is no doubt that diameter increases rapid from the start most of the disadvantage mentioned also decreased toward the southern limit of the spruce range the growth on the oregon coast being rapid end of section four